Hi, I'm Rachel Michelle Wilson. Today I'm sitting next to my friend, Canadian nature enthusiast, cat lover, and children's book author illustrator, Celia Crampine. You can sit with me, you can sit with me, you can sit with me at the kid table. In this episode, Celia shares how her quiet stubbornness gave her the courage to try new things, like figure skating, and change her career mid-degree how she learned to not let the rejections keep her down, how reading is the best way to learn how to write a novel, and how she crafted a setting that feels like a character in her debut novel, The Bellwoods Game. All right, so we always like to start with our chats at childhood, just because it's fun and to get to know each other's kid selves as well. What was the kid table like for you as a kid? I don't know if we did the kid table like a whole lot in my family, and it got me thinking about how um, there's actually big age gaps between kind of like the the kids. Um, So there was like me and my cousin and we saw each other quite a bit. We were pretty close. Um, He's like a year older than me. But other than that, like all the other cousins were kind of like quite a bit younger. And then like the extended cousins, second cousins that we would see, like they were quite a bit older. So we were kind of this like weird middle generation. So I think we would either, you know, do our own thing hang with the adults or kind of like eventually got stuck entertaining like the littler kids like I think our kids table was pretty broad like it it applied to um like sometimes it'd be an aunt or a second cousin who was kind of an adult but like they were you know part of the kids or whatever and then there'd be like this super young kid who was like a cousin who came along like 14 years later kind of thing what I love about yours is You've got these adults who love to sit at the kid table, which I'm all for, obviously. And then like the young, you becoming kind of the adult of the table while you're sitting there because you're older than these other kids. So that's kind of a fascinating in-between area that you have. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, I'm always up for sitting at the kid's table still. I think that's uh, once at my partner's family uh, get together, I got a special invite from uh, one of the three-year-olds. He found out that I wrote like a book that I had given him and he was like, okay, you're going to sit next to me. I was like, awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, So when you do sit at the kid table, whether now or before, what snack do you prefer to have? Oh man. Um, So I looked through like my baby book once, the one like that my mom kept. And <laughs> I don't think she got super far into it, but one of the things she wrote down was my favorite snack when I was one year old was cookies. And I was like, oh, that's still the same. <laughs> I'm the same way. Okay. Three words to describe your personality as a kid. Okay. Um, so quiet, um, sensitive, <laughs> unfortunately anxious. I think my sensitivity was more kind of like withdrawn. So I just kind of go quiet and people are like, you're so quiet or you're so shy. And I, I think just realizing looking back and like, oh, it's just because I was anxious all the time. I relate to this, all three of these. What about, I'm curious too about your dream job. It's really interesting because the last chat I had was with Brianna Carzu. She also was quiet and anxious and she loved acting, which surprised me. But I've heard that a lot of shy kids like actually gravitate towards acting. So the dream jobs have surprised me. So I'm like really curious about what your dream job was with this with kind of similar personality words as Brianna's. Oh man, that's great. I do like, I don't know if I'm like acting. I did a lot of drama and it was fun, but I'm not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think when I was a kid, I have um, like my old yearbooks and going through 
at one point I wanted to be um, a veterinarian because I really like animals. I still really like animals. Um, but I also wanted to be a professional figure skater, <laughs> which was surprising to me because like I've done figure skating. And again, I am not good at it. <laughs> How long did you do figure skating? Um, I feel like maybe a year. I was, I'm a very worried child. I was always like, oh, falling. <laughs> I'm a worried adult like that. Skating freaks me out. So that's yeah. so, well, you were brave and courageous to do that, even though you were scared of it. Apparently, I think it was probably my mom's like, you have to try things. <laughs> well, you chose a good one and a dangerous one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I tech check off like the activity like, well, we tried that. We did it. <laughs> Let's not do it anymore. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So um, if you were like me as a kid, which it sounds like you are, you were, did you also love books and creativity? And I'm curious, like what that relationship looked like as a kid for you? Yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like so many of us when we're kids, like we just naturally gravitate to books and creativity because kids have so many ideas, you know, and like maybe we're not the best at verbally explaining them when we're younger. I think I remember having a lot of trouble with that, like especially with adults, like trying to explain my ideas and they just like weren't grasping what I was trying to explain. That was so frustrating. But like with, um, you know, making a story or something, that's it's such a like more fluid way to process I think when you're a kid um so yeah I definitely did a lot of that like where you'd write stories in class about your friends um uh, or you know draw draw pictures and I think that was kind of my thing when I was little um I was kind of known for like oh you can draw pretty okay <laughs> and it was like a good way to like score brownie points with like <laughs> the other kids especially when Pokemon came into popularity and like all the guys were like I need a Pokemon for my my folder for my homework and so you draw them one up and like be pretty cool that day so it sounds like for you art and writing stories was a way to process your world and also maybe a way to connect with other people it sounds Mm. you know with your classmates and maybe a way to communicate because you said communication was kind of frustrating sometimes mm-hmm. as a kid. I'm curious if those things are similar today or how that might have shifted as you got older. Oh, yeah, I think it's definitely the same today. Um, I feel like the communication part is what I like about it. Um, and I think that's what drew me towards illustration in the first place. Um, I initially had wanted to go to school for animation. Um because, you know, you grew up being a fan, especially like our age group, it was kind of, we lived through that 90s renaissance of Disney movies and stuff like that. And it was such an exciting, exciting career. And it really is. But once I kind of started to understand the difference between that and what illustration is and how illustration, um, it's a bit more uh, individual and a bit more about communicating through ideas rather than kind of working as a team um, to, to create like one big story. I think that's kind of what um, what made illustration feel like it was probably a better fit for me. Um, I'm not like the strongest like technical illustrator, I think, and I'm not the kind of person who like sits away doodling all the time. I think for me, it's more about I need like a, a specific idea to kind of dig into. And that's the way I I work at it. <laughs> I love that with the connection with communication and the difference between animation and illustration and how you found a way to express yourself that feels 
right for you. Mm. Were there any challenges to finding illustration? Like, how did you realize that? What what did Mm. that process look like for you? So I went to Sheridan College, which is here in Ontario, kind of just outside of Toronto. Um, And I had applied for animation, but it's like a really competitive program and I did not get in. (laughs) So like my backup plan was I took um, what's called art fundamentals. And it's like a one year um, certificate course kind of based on um, improving just, you know, the fundamentals of that skill building where you're drawing and painting. And um, it was kind of like a portfolio building class. And so I was working towards doing animation and then kind of halfway through, um, you'd walk the hallways at Sheridan and the the professors would put up work from their classes in the hallways. And I started seeing the work coming out of the illustration program. And I was like, I think I actually like this more. This feels just a little bit more like what I would be into. So I was like, forget animation. I'm going to do the illustration one instead. So luckily that worked out. (laughs) Wow. You, to me, you seem so brave because, and, and persistent. No, for real, because A lot of people, when they receive one no, like not getting into the program that they want to get into, they might be like, oh, this isn't a good fit for me or, or Mm -hmm. put themselves to not keep going. Or, you know, you're pursuing animation and then being able to switch to something else in the middle of your program, having the courage to do that and to follow what feels right to you. Where does that persistence come from? What motivated you during that time? Um. I don't know. I think I'm like quietly stubborn in that way. Like I, I don't know if I'm ever very good at things right away, <laughs> but I'm like, I'll work at it and then I will, I'll come back and I'll be better. I promise. <laughs> so I think I've always kind of been like that. Um, I've needed a little bit of like, I need to go away for a bit and just work on this <laughs> and then prove to to myself that I can do it. Um, so I think uh, I've always kind of been like that a bit. Yeah. Um, and it's really useful in illustration, actually, because people tell, you no like a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're well equipped to handle rejection and yeah. people saying no to you and you just continue to do your thing. I think that's amazing. And it's hard to it's hard to do. Yeah. And it is like super discouraging. Like I wouldn't blame people for feeling discouraged. And like you definitely do like all through art school, too. Like they try to help equip you with that where you go through group critiques where you're having students try to like you know pick out what's not working and it can be hard sometimes but after a while I think you start learning like some critique is maybe not done in good faith or maybe they're just not getting what you're kind of going for and you start learning like which critiques that you can kind of take to heart and which critiques aren't maybe worth listening to just because, you know, you kind of know what you're working towards and, and if there's really nothing that you can build off of, then like, you know, and a lot of the critique that you get once you're like kind of out professionally working, um, like you might send your work off to someone and you hear no response. Like, it doesn't mean they don't like it. It just means maybe they're busy or they don't have a project for you right now. There's like a million reasons why people aren't necessarily noticing you or you know hiring you right away so you kind of just it just rolls off of you eventually it still kind of sucks but I mean you get better at it something you learn to get better at what I love about you is you have a you always have a learner mentality of Mm. you know I'm I'm 
I'm not good at this, but I can get better at it. I can learn this skill. You know, right now rejection is hard, but I can get better at handling rejection. And, and so I think that is an amazing quality you have. How did you develop that? I don't know. Thank you. That's so nice. Um, I don't know. I think maybe it's like, even as a kid, I remember having like control issues. I liked being in control of what I'm doing or what I'm wearing. Or um, I think it maybe comes down to that because if it's something I can work on, it's kind of something I can control. I can like, you know, I can dig into it. I can do better. Um, I think it might be that honestly. No, but I relate to that a lot with the control thing um, tied to the anxiety thing. Mm, and yes. just it, anxiety is a huge creative drive for me. And it sounds like Mm -hmm. it is for you as well. And, um, and I've noticed that you are really good at doing a lot of types of projects. So you have, you have illustration for your own books and other people's books. You also have writing and you also have covers and other types of illustration projects. So I'm curious, like how you juggle all of that and avoid burnout at the same time because I know you're super busy with all of these awesome things so how do you handle that I'm not sure I do all the time (laughs) um I I try I do my best but yeah I don't know if I'm always super good at it um I think I realized kind of early on that um either it's just kind of the way the industry is going or maybe it's just my suitability but I was trying to do like only editorial illustration for a while, um, which is like when you're working for newspapers and magazines and um, it just like wasn't enough work wasn't coming in to pay the bills. So I thought, okay, I probably need to like diversify a little bit. Um, And I think that's kind of where that initially came from. Like I need to um, try different applications for my work, not just for like a business sense, but I also kind of enjoy kind of flipping between different projects. Um, I, I don't know, I get a little restless when things take too long. I think that was another thing that worried me about animation as a career, that it's, especially if you're working in like films, it's a long project. You're on the same project for a very long time. The illustration, you can kind of jump around. You can do books, you can work with a magazine, you can do a bit of graphic design, you can do uh, motion stuff sometimes. You know, there's there's lots of stuff you can do. Um, and I don't know that that part always feels very appealing to me. So it sounds like avoiding boredom is a big mm. drive for you as well. For sure. And I wouldn't say like, I wasn't really the kind of kid who's always like, I'm bored. I was always pretty good at keeping myself busy. And I think that that's something illustration lets me do. Like, you know, I might not have anything necessarily on deadline, but I'm like, I can think of about five dozen different things I could be working on and you just <laughs> sit down and work away on it. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird how much just like childhood instincts, I think, and I've just tried to like force them into a way I can somehow earn a living. How did you know it was a job or how how did you know that that was something you could do? I think it was really, um, like, I'm really lucky because my parents are super supportive. They both have, like, actually, my dad has a job he's really passionate about where he works at a marina and he loves boats. He can talk about boats to you all day. His whole family is just all about it. So, like, it's weird, but he has a very practical job, but he's also just, like, very passionate about it. (laughs) 
Um, but my mom, I think she, she had a very practical job and I think she was kind of like, you should do something you like, you know, cause I grew up in the nineties and things seemed really optimistic back then. <laughs> <laughs> I changed. Um, but she was really great. And she was like, I've heard about this college. It's called Sheridan. They teach people to do animation. You should maybe try that out. And so I was like, okay. Wow. So your parents saw who you are and kind of helped you see maybe a career path that could match yeah. that. Yeah, I had, they were really supportive. Like my whole family is super, super chill and supportive. Um, even my parents, they had, they have tons of friends. They were always hanging out at my parents' adult friends' houses and like they would give me books and, you know, you know, they were just, I was lucky to have lots of adults around who were invested in, in me and making sure I was, I was doing something I liked. So that's great. Amazing. Yeah. And now look at you. You have so many, you have so many amazing books and you've, you've both written and illustrated amazing books as well as covers for other people's books. And so one of my favorites, Sunny, Fiona uh-huh. builds a fairy house and secret, secret agent guy. So I'm curious. Um, those are just a few of many you do. And I wanted to talk to you about covers because you are so talented at covers oh, thank you. and I'm curious what how you do the magic you do because representing an entire story and one cover is very challenging. So I'm curious what your process looks like when you're Hmm. deciding what to, first of all, how, you know, a book, you want to do a cover for a book. And second of all, then what do you do to figure out what should go on that cover to represent the entire book? Mm. I think, um, I think my like kind of background in doing editorial work, because when I went to Sheridan, that was kind of like the course was built around that as a career, Um, maybe not exclusively, but um, that was kind of one of the major career paths at the time. It's like a little different now because editorial is just maybe less of a thing. Um, But Back then, that was kind of what we spent a lot of time on. Um, And that's basically like you read an article and then you come up with a bunch of different ways that you could possibly kind of sum up that article in like a quick, um, smart, visual way, (laughs) Um, which is kind of fun. It's kind of like uh, like a puzzle, like you take all these different ideas and you rearrange them and you're like, how can I make this look good Um, in a way that, you know, is fresh feeling and feels like the work I do usually. Um, So it's kind of challenging, but that's kind of what um, my background was. Um, and some illustrators, they're so clever, like very sharp. They can take like an idea and just like, you know, the, the visual they bring you, you're like, that's amazing. Like, I, I don't have quite that level of smarts for it, but I think I don't believe that, Celia. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I've seen your covers. (laughs) Thank you. I think I'm more like intuitive. Like maybe I can, I think i the feel of it resonates a bit more with me. So I'm like, this might not be the smartest image, but I think it feels right. That checks for me because, um, okay. One of your skills that many skills, uh, I want to, I'm just going to jump to the Bellwoods game because what you said reminded me of that. Your illustrated middle grade novel, which I am obsessed with. I got to read in arc, oh, which was so you. wonderful and enjoyed it so much. And one of the things, speaking of your intuitive illustration sense and kind of leaning more into the feel I I felt that in your writing and the bell would you first before I dive into the question tell us a little bit about the book first so 
The Bellwoods Game is a highly illustrated spooky novel aimed at readers like 8 to 13-ish. The story takes place in a fictional small town called Fall Hollow, where every year the sixth graders play a game called The Bellwoods Game. So during that game, uh, the kids race into the woods to ring a mysterious bell that lies within. Legends say that the bell must be rung each year on Halloween. Otherwise, the spirit of Abigail Snook, who's a girl who disappeared in the woods a long time ago, uh, she'll be freed from the woods to terrorize the town. So this year, when the sixth graders enter, they realize there's a lot more to the legends than they had previously known, and they have to work together to win the game. Otherwise, they won't be able to save their town. Oh, that was so good. So now that we, now that listeners know a little more about your story, I can ask the question because the atmosphere of this book is really important because it's spooky. It's got like fall vibes. It's got this palpable atmosphere that feels like a character because the woods becomes a part of the story. And okay. so you saying that you're intuitive and you go more towards the feel of things. I could totally see that in your <laughs> writing. And I just wanted to know how, how that process was, was create when you were creating that atmosphere in your book, what did that look like? What was your journey like? So I grew up in like a really small rural town. Um, like our town had like 400 people in it and it was so small. Like I didn't actually live in the town. I was like kind of near it. <laughs> And it was really rural, lots of like farming. Um, and our house was kind of in the middle of the woods. We didn't really have any close neighbors. So I spent a lot of time just kind of tromping around in the woods with my aforementioned cousin who I saw a lot and <laughs> just be out in the woods doing whatever. So I don't know. It's a place that just feels very homey to me. I still like hiking and just being in nature. So I think it's just a place that feels uh, very comfortable for me and I'm familiar with. So I think that was partially the reason why I wanted to set a book in the woods. Plus it has this kind of, um, and it's like archetypal kind of mystery to it, right? Like you go in and anything can happen. It's kind of this place where adults aren't watching you and it can be filled with magic or mysteries or, you know, anything can happen. Oh, I love that. And I definitely felt that as soon as I started reading. You drop readers in this world that feels real with conflicts between characters that are interesting. I love it. And Thank I'm so you. excited for everyone to read it. I also wanted to know when you were making this book, I know making a book is such a big endeavor and you have a learner mentality and <laughs> that's what I love about you. So I'm curious what you learn from making it. It could be about process or it could be about life, like anywhere in between. I think, um, I think I learned like everything from <laughs> <laughs> like I had no clue about basically anything. I had never like I had written stuff for fun, but never something that was like going to be evaluated by people in any sort of sense. So, you know, like I sent it off to my agent because we had talked about, you know, putting together, you know, we'd only ever done picture books before. And we had spoken about, you know, if I was interested in doing different forms or different age uh, ranges um, And middle grade is kind of um, so many of my favorite books are for middle grade audiences. It was definitely like the time in my life where I did my most reading, my most passionate reading, I think. So um, it was something I was going, interested in exploring. And I was like, oh, I'll put some, together some ideas. So I had to like, not only learn like the whole process where like working with an editor, um, like I've worked with art directors a lot before. So I'm really used to that whole process. But like, writing on deadlines, editing on deadlines. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. But I was working with the team at Athenium um, Books for Young Readers, and they're amazing. Just 
kind and supportive and super talented. So they were, they knew that, you know, this is kind of my first kick at the can for this kind of project. So they were really helpful at like guiding people through the whole process. So there's a lot of illustrators I know who want to dive into writing, whether that's a picture Mm -hmm. book or a middle grade, and it can be really terrifying to take that leap. And like you do, you just took that leap and you're like, I'm going to learn. And I'm glad too. I love how you emphasize that you have a team with you. You're not just going alone and you were able to have that support, but you also had this amazing courage to just go for it, to go for one of the ideas you have. Do you have any other advice for someone who might be wanting to write their first novel or who's an illustrator who wants to dive into writing? What helped me the most um, was because I I didn't feel like a writer when I wanted to start writing. Like, I think there's kind of this erroneous label that we put on ourselves sometime. Like I'm this person and they're that person. So I can't do that thing that they do. And that's really how I felt with writing because I didn't have a ton of experience and, you know, withdrawing, I felt like I'd been doing it for so long that it was kind of something I had permission to do. But with writing, I didn't have that same history. So I'm like, who am I to write stuff? Like, I'm not a writer. But I realized kind of around that point that I was a really big reader, that I had been reading all my life and reading was a huge passion of mine. And I remembered that you actually learn things from reading books, (laughs) which seems crazy. Um, (laughs) I'm like, oh, right. That's kind of what books are for. So that mentality, I was like, oh, right. So you can learn about writing from books, like not just reading books that tell you how to write things, but like you can read books that you love if you look at them kind of critically, um, you know, you can kind of break down like this, this is why I like this. And this is what's working with this. And man, like that's, that's a really great way they did that. And I think starting to just kind of tweak my, my outlook on what writing is, was what, what helped me most. So I would say reading, you can read a lot and reading will help you with writing. That is so good. And well said, um, that made me think, are there any books in particular that helped you get inspiration for the Bellwoods game? I feel like a lot of books that I liked when I was a kid. Um, I liked a lot of spooky books like R.L. Stein, kind of Nancy Drew stuff too. Um, a lot of mysteries. They're like a lot of one-offs, I think, too, like Banicula or something. There were so many fun spooky books for kids back then. Like I think that's kind of what I wanted to make for now. (laughs) Yeah. And it definitely, I can totally see the, you've got the spooky and the mystery combination. Cool. Well, um, what kind of projects are you looking to illustrate now or what are you focusing on now? Um, right now I'm kind of focusing on more like writing illustration projects that I'm doing on my own. Yeah. I think I like, again, going back to like that whole control thing, like having that agency over what I'm working on kind of early when I was doing illustration, I felt like I was being really reactive to things like always waiting around and kind of jumping when I got an email and it's great and it's exciting. Um, And I do really like illustrating other people's ideas because they're always going to be so much different than my own. But at the same time, like it gets, it gets tiring after a while when you're always reacting to things. It can be fun to, you know, do it yourself. Can you like, I'm going to make this opportunity happen rather than wait for one to come along. So I'm trying to do more of that while I'm also like 
hoping I get more get to work with other people at the same time. I'm, I like to have a little bit of it all happening. Yeah, you want to maintain that. You want to avoid that boredom, right? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before we end, do you have any other projects you wanted to tell us about that are coming up? Thanks. Yeah, Bellwoods is coming out July 18th. Um, available for pre-order now if anyone wants to. Um, I also have a picture book coming out soon on August 1st called Fiona Builds a Fairy House. It's written by Kristen Dixon and I did the illustrations. It's awesome. I'm biased, but like, it's awesome. When I read the text, I'm like, I'm so jealous I didn't write this one because it's so funny. Just very genuine and sweet. And it's about a little girl who is obsessed with fairies. Her teacher suggests that she should build a fairy house. She bring a fairy to her own house and she just loves that idea. Um, she asks her whole family to help her, but they're kind of busy. There's this whole like wet cat situation happening. Um, so she's like, I'm going to do it myself. And this is, this is why she resonates with me. She tries her best to make this fairy house and just stuff doesn't work. And she gets really mad. And I was like, this is the story of my life. I, I love that. <laughs> it's totally tied to what we've been talking about. This exactly. Whole time. <laughs> exactly. There's lots of mythical creatures. There's an ogre, there's boogers involved. It's fantastic. That sounds wonderful. And you'd be the perfect yeah. illustrator for this book. I'm so excited. Oh, thank yeah. you. So excited. Well, thank thanks you. for telling us about it. And thank you. <laughs> thanks for coming to sit with me at the kid table. I feel so honored to have you here. Thank you for having me. My confidence is like through the roof after. <laughs> Good. Thanks for sitting with us today. I hope you all go out and pre-order the Bellwoods game and Fiona builds a fairy house from your local independent bookstore. If you like this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave a review or share it with a friend. After all, there's always more room at the kid table. Thanks Whiskey Geraldine for our music and author Joanna Rowland for sponsoring this episode. If you would like to sponsor an episode, simply sign up as a paid subscriber at rachelmichellewilson.substack.com. Toodles until next time. As always, I'll save you a seat right next to me.